And thank you, gentlemen. By the way, out there on the table, there's a basket over there. Uh, this one, this particular box has a um, tape measure with a notepad on it with a pen on it. I know if you're anything like me, I go and I measure something, and I say, okay, that's 39 by 42 and so on there. And then I go and I say, oh, who's that measurement? Well, this you can write it right down there on the, on, the, on the notepad right there. And there's a few other things out that way, too. Uh, just so that when, you know, many times men, we, we think we're all alone in this world. And uh, we wonder if anybody else is uh, living for the Lord and loves the Lord as much as we do. And we pick up that thing and say, oh, you know what? I belong to a church who loves me. Uh, a church full of people who, who just love me, for sure. Well, hey, listen, last week, last Sunday, we had... Uh, Pastor and Mrs. Uh, Kevin Stroop with us, and uh, before he left, we found out it was their 25th anniversary. So Peg and I said, I ran out, I got a hold of him, said, we're going to go to dinner. And we took him out and treated him to dinner. They came back Sunday night, and we were left Sunday night, I said, you know, would you like to preach for us on Wednesday night? He said, well, if you want me to, I'll be glad to. My wife says, oh, don't ask him, because you know they're on vacation. And uh, he said, oh, no, no. He said, I'm on vacation. I love to preach wherever I can. Boy, did he have a great message on it. Beating all around right where Steve was. Right? We kind of, he kind of beat around in the, in the heart of where Steve's been there in, uh, in uh, Mark chapter uh, 8. But uh, it was a great message. If you weren't here on Sunday night. How many, how, what is that? Did anybody get a chance to listen Wednesday night? I listened to it a lot. All right. So you got, you got to hear it. That, that, that's a good thing. It was really good. I know that Brother Tom, he, he emailed me and uh, wanted to get the guy's address. And uh, By the way, Tom, if you're listening this morning, your headache's okay. And Chris, has the, you have the home address, right? I have the church address, but you have the home address there. So if you wanted to send him a note of thanks and appreciation there, uh, to come from Poland, Ohio, to uh, Swan, Vermont. Now, you, you don't usually think of Swan, Vermont as a place to go on vacation. <laughs> but they loved it. They went up there. They had a... Uh, VRAB or something, whatever they call it. I have no idea. I can't keep up with those. I have a hard enough time with the, uh, with the, uh, with the, the queer alphabet. I'm not sure. Uh, along the way there for that there. But uh, what a great couple they were. And what a blessing they were. An encouragement to us as well. And uh, we had traveled. He traveled a little bit later. But we traveled in some of the same circles when we were down south there. Got to see some of the pastors and everything else like that. So it was kind of like a good old homecoming uh, for the most part there. Well, listen, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, a key verse is verse 13, and we probably could look at uh, um, yeah. uh, anyway, verse 13, we'll begin with that. There. It says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Now, um, you notice that in the description of the armor that is given uh, by description there, there is n- nothing to cover your retreat. In other words, if you turn and you run from the enemy, you may find your stuff with a few arrows in your back. There's nothing to protect you because God has given us the armor that is necessary to face the enemy and to stay steadfast Amen. to face the enemy. And so we have been dealing the last couple of Sundays with the fact that every Christian who has come to a saving faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ as our substitute on the cross. That we are in a spiritual warfare. Now some are fighting a harder battle than others. Not because they're more spiritual than others. But because they're out there in the front lines. And they're not afraid to stand up. For the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They don't cower. They don't back down. Others may be fighting battles in different places in different ways. But this warfare is a battle for the mind and who... Uh, in who is going to be the primary influencer. Uh, Now, you may think you are the one who influences your mind. Well, you're only using what information you have available, and there are two primary influencers to to our mind, God and Satan. God and Satan. Satan doesn't always have wicked thoughts, but he can influence your mind to maybe not read your Bible today, maybe not to have your prayer time, maybe not to go to church. Uh, He can influence us in so many different ways to do things that would be uh, uncustomary for a child of God who really loves the Lord and who wants to worship and to fellowship and to serve the Lord would normally do. And so the typical Christian and the unsaved have this foolish notion that they are the ones in control of their lives. Well, you may have some control. Overall, Satan or God has control. 
Satan wants to be able to control even the believer, probably more so than the unsaved because he's got the unsaved. But if you continue to live a life overtly for the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a threat to his dark kingdom, his evil kingdom. And so we are either enlightened by God or we are blinded by the devil. Now let me give you some things that might indicate that one is not being enlightened by God or is being blinded by the devil. Now God commands us to study his word. Now don't raise your hand. Answer the question to yourself. How often do I study the word? Now I'm not talking about reading it. I'm talking about studying it. How often do you study the word of God? What's that got to do with anything? Well, when we look at 2 Timothy 2.15, the word study, which is the verb, is in the imperative. God said this is absolutely imperative to you as a child of God to study the word of God. How are you going to be able to fight a battle against Satan who is seeking to get control of your mind? How are you you going to win if you don't know what God's made available? Well, you're not. And so... Are you studying the Bible or are you making excuses? If you're making excuses while you're not reading the Bible, then Satan's influencing you. Yeah, that's where it comes from. So who's the author of those excuses? I think we can discount the Holy Spirit here. I don't, I, I don't think I've ever in my lifetime heard the Holy Spirit say, hey, psst, psst. you don't need to study that. You're good. You, you, read, you read two extra chapters yesterday. You're good to go for today. <laughs> no. Uh, maybe another one is that God commands us to pray without ceasing. Again, the word pray without ceasing, it's all in the imperative. It's important for us to continually be in a, to be, to be in a ready state of prayer. Uh, for one thing or another, whatever comes to our mind and God speaks to us. You know, Satan said, ah, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. Besides the waste of time. God's not going to answer your prayers, one thing or another. And so, who is saying that we don't need to pray? Again, I don't think the Holy Spirit. And thirdly here, what about regular church attendance? Christ set himself as an example for us to follow, and Satan says that you have better things to do. You don't really need to be in church today. And so we reason with ourselves that uh, unless uh, we've got one of those critical jobs where it's a matter of life and death and so on there, uh, or it's a demand uh, that we do so, then, hey, guess what? Uh, the devil's not... How many wanted to stay in bed this morning under those nice warm covers or sit by the sofa with a, with a comfy blanket and a cup of coffee and whatever that stuff is? <laughs> Rather than come to church. You know, I, I, you know I, I, yesterday I told Peggy, well, all this rainy, dreary day, Saturday this is a good day to have a fireplace, sit down next to the fireplace, get a book out, read a book called the Bible. Listen, if you, listen, you know, if you read the Bible all the way through, you read 60, uh, 67 books in a year. <laughs> So someone said, hey, you read any books? Yeah, I read 67 of them this year. 67 last year, too. 66, 67. What is it? Okay, I have an extra one. I think, there we go. Uh, 66 books to Bible. There's 37, 39 and 27. There we go. I'll get it right. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. See, all those degrees did pay off. I just get mixed up once in a while. <laughs> But anyway, uh, I mean, uh, to attend church is important. It really is important. Now, listen, if, if, you're, if you're so sick that, I mean, you've got, your nose is running, your ears are running, and what else is running, uh, stay home. It's probably good for you to stay home, not give it to everybody else. But for the most part, when it's a matter of choosing a golfing, fishing, or this is just a good day to stay home. Excuses. No. That's when you really say, you know what? I need to be in the house, Lord. God may have something to say to me. God may have an answer to that prayer that I just prayed yesterday or that I've been praying for all this week. God may have that answer for me, uh, and I'm going to make sure I'm in church. And if he doesn't, then he's going to have another time. He's going to meet that answer for sure. And so uh, who's going to influence you, Christ or Satan? And that's, that's the question. Who's going to influence you to do the things that God wants us to do or commanded us to do? Well, Satan doesn't want any of the redeemed of the Lord to see, to see anything from God's perspective. And so he wages this battle for the control of the mind, saved or unsaved. And we took a quick look there back uh, into 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, looking in uh, verse 1. Um, and, and he says there, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry that we have received mercy, we faint not. And uh, but uh, have uh, have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God. What? 
deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, one of the interesting things about that section of Scripture there is that you and I, when we're out there in the world, are either prepared to be the light that God wants us to be or we're unprepared. And if we're unprepared, it's because Satan has influenced us to put aside those things that would be important that we exercise when we're out there in the public as well as in private. So that the the unsaved world can see a true Christian, one who truly loves the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. So whether you like it or not, the redeemed of the Lord are in this battle, and God has made sure that we have everything that we need, amen, to wage a successful battle against Satan's attempts to ruin our lives, our marriages, and our family. When I joined the Air Force in January 21st, yes, January 21st, 1963, they said, bring only what you got in your back. Don't bring anything else. Don't pack a bag. Just come ashore. And that's what we did. And we got down there, they gave us a bag. And they said, when we give you everything you're going to need, you put all the stuff you have, put it in the bag and send it home. Because from that point on, they were going to give us everything that we needed. They were going to give, they were going to give us the Air Force uniforms and the work fatigues. They were going to give us the boots. They were going to give us the shoes. They were going to give us the rain gear. Uh, they were going to give us sheets and pillows and stuff for our beds. They were going to give us every. They were going to give us three meals a day. And then they were going to yell at us. So it made you feel like you're at home. Going <laughs> to yell at you this way and that way. And so we did. But they gave us everything. When I when I got my first permanent change of station in Rome, New York. I checked in at base. They sent me down to BMO. I went down to BMO down there. And I, I, I was a, an F-101 mechanic. And uh, they gave me a toolbox. Everything I was going to need, every tool I was going to need to work on that aircraft for my, my MOS, which is my work area, which was hydraulics and hydraulics on the aircraft. That's what makes those things go up and down and the landing gear, you know, and the, when you put on the brakes, it stops. Hopefully it stops if you did your job right anyway. Uh, so anyway, you know, they gave you everything you're going to need for that. And they also gave you schooling. They gave you the textbooks that you needed. Uh, and they gave you one-on-one familiarization classes. And they put you down there and they gave you a, uh, a seven level to guide and direct you as you went out and you worked on the aircraft until you could eventually pass certain levels. They gave you everything you needed. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? I didn't have to go out and buy my tools. I didn't have to go out and buy my clothes. All given to me. Listen, everything that you and I need to wage a successful war against sin Satan and our flesh, God has given to us. Amen. Nothing is lacking. Everything. Ephesians 6 lays out for us this truth in verse 13, as we have already read. But note the end of the verse where it says, And having done all to stand. I'm going to be very honest with you. I do not believe very many of God's people today, and I know there's a, there's a number that do, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that. But there are not nearly as many who don't as do prepare themselves so they could stand, having done all. Well, all the things that God listed there that he would have us to do, some are the imperative, some are they're not suggestions, they're just simply examples or things that God would have us to do. And so here's the question, have you done all to stand? Or are you doing all to stand because this is an ongoing battle and, and it's going to be so until Jesus comes for us. So everything you and I need to have a successful Christian life has been made available to us. What God needs from us is the will to live the life he has saved us to live. This is not an option. Once you get saved, it's not your life to live, but it's, it's the life that God has saved you to live. Now, he may, be, may, may have been very well okay with what you're doing. But you've got to come at least some point in your life and your Christian life and say, what, Lord, if I'm not doing what you'd have me to do, then, Lord, you guide me and direct me to the things that you want me to do. And so as we look to the Lord in a word of prayer, 
we'll pick up with that first point. Father, we just thank you for this time we can be together, gather around your word. And Lord, the heat is going to turn. Lord, it's going to turn up. And Lord, I, I'm not talking about the weather. I, I am talking about the battle against righteousness and unrighteousness, against our flesh, Satan, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, strengthen us and encourage us. Lord, you've given us all the tools we need. Lord, we may not know what they are. We may not know where the answers are. But, Lord, they're there. And we need to be in the Bible, studying the Word of God, so that when these times come, or, Lord, at least we know where to go. We have an idea where to go. And so, Lord, won't you guide and direct to strengthen us, to encourage us, open our eyes that we might see, our ears that we might hear, and our hearts that we might receive. Lord, whether it's to salvation or to rededication, Lord, have your perfect will and way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So point number one is God has provided an army for us. I had mentioned that before back in Jeremiah chapter uh, 50 and verse 25. Uh, and uh, so let's take a quick look back there and uh, make a few comments before we get into point number two. Obviously, this is... Uh, a very troubling time in the nation of Israel. They've been in captivity. And chapter 50 and verse 25. Okay, I'm in 51 Romans, sorry. Chapter 50 and verse 25. Here we go. Come against her from the utmost border Open her storehouse. Cast her up as heaps. I'm running the wrong verse. I am sorry. I'll get it right this morning. One verse before that. The Lord hath opened his armory. And what? Hath brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. In this chapter, Jeremiah is revealing God's future plans for Israel. And for Judah. Jeremiah was, for the most part, a pre exilic prophet. But Nebuchadnezzar came against Judah on a couple different occasions. And God laid it upon Nebuchadnezzar's heart to take care of Jeremiah in a good way. Because Jeremiah was obedient at an extremely difficult time a very stressful time, a time when he was hated, despised, and oftentimes imprisoned, thrown and, and, and ill-treated by those to whom he brought the message. And so his faithfulness earned him God's protection against the Babylonians. And so God will in turn use King Cyrus of the Medo-Persian Empire with his nephew um, Darius to restore Jerusalem. And that's what Jeremiah is writing. It's a prophetic verse that is looking at a time when God is going to be able to get a remnant to be able to return from Babylonian captivity back to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. So this book of Jeremiah will be read while they are in captivity. And Daniel is the one who seems to be the most studious reading in the Bible. And he put two and two together. And he said, wait a minute. And he counted the years that they were in captivity. And he read that, hey, we're only supposed to be in this captivity for 70 years. And so, he, so Daniel, writes, he, Daniel writes in chapter 9 and verse 2, he says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years, wherever the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then follows an earnest prayer of repentance by Daniel in the remainder of the chapter. And so Daniel purposes in his heart in chapter 1 and verse 8 that he is not going to defile his body. That being uh, a Jew who has been obedient to the law of Moses back in Israel doesn't change who he is in captivity and he is still going to be loyal and faithful to the Mosaic law. And so God's going to be able to use this man in a wonderful and a marvelous way. Many times we want to take a shortcut. We want God to use us in marvelous and wonderful ways, but we don't, we don't want to put in the footwork. We don't want to have to study the Word of God. We don't want to have to inculcate the Word of God into our way of thinking and our thought life. And so imagine how excited Daniel was or must have been when he was reading Jeremiah 50 and verse 25. 
And he's saying to himself, God was going to, in his time, open his armory so that Judah, in captivity, would have what was necessary to get back to rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And God says, I've got everything in my armory. My army of indignation. He said, listen, uh, these people have done atrocious things. They went beyond anything thing that I had, I had allotted them to do. And they're going to pay the price for it. And he said, I've got everything in my armory that is necessary for you to contend with all of this stuff. And so an army is where one stores the weapons and, and armor necessary to equip and to train men to fight and protect their beloved nation. There they keep their ammunition. They keep their different weapons. They keep their vehicles. They keep uh, whatever they need. Uh, to, to be able to wage a successful war or defense. So when the time would come, while they were in captivity, God was going to open his army of provisions for them to begin their return. And boy, were they going to need it. Because there was an enemy back in the land, and there was an enemy behind them. And so they were going to need those weapons. And so it all began with God's use of Cyrus and his nephew Darius at the right time. Not a minute too soon, not a second too late. Daniel picked up on this as we have seen. And the edict was given for anyone of Judah in captivity to return and to rebuild. And they did just that. So secondly, God's armory for you and I in John chapter 6 and verse 36. In the gospel of John chapter 6. And looking at verse 36, the Bible says this. But I said unto you, that ye have also seen me, and believed not. Now, I'll make sense here in a little bit. Now, I made the statement in both of the last two messages that I preached, and it was, God has not saved us to be losers. Rather, we are born again to be winners. The single greatest event in our life since our birth is when we came to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the single most important event because it has determined where you're going to spend your eternity. But it has also determined how we need to live our life between now and the rapture. The second greatest event took place simultaneously when the Holy Spirit of God came to reside in you and me. What a distinct advantage you and I have over the Old Testament. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God to help us make sense of the tools and the weapons that God has given to us to be able to fight against sin, Satan, and our flesh. At at those very moments in time that we are capable of a quality of life that only God can make possible even in a fallen world of darkness, we can still exercise these tools and come out on top whether the adversity is a health issue or whether it's a political issue or whether it's a uh, societal issue, whatever it might be, that is, that is really horrendous uh, against us. And Christians are being ridiculed and mocked. Anybody who went to that Dodgers game in Los Angeles, well, I hope God deals with them really harshly. Now, I'm not Catholic. But we better understand something. If they come for the Catholics, then they'll come for the Lutherans and the Methodists. And they'll come for everybody. And they're going to come for us too. So we have to realize is that there's a wickedness. What, what was going through the mind of these people. And, and that wickedness resides in people like Gates, Soros, um, Bezo, uh, whoever the other guy is. But to openly mock a, a religion's how um, do we say that? Uh, sacred items, if you would, the way they did. Um, I can't conceive of a time in America when that ever would have been thought possible. And here we are today that it's just openly accepted as free speech. Yet you go out there and you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and you've got to shut up. Keep your mouth shut. Don't talk to us about it. So anyway... And so Jesus gave us an operational manual for this new life in Christ because the Lord our God knew we would need the tools to keep our minds and hearts stayed on Christ. The Christian life is not an easy life because everything in the Christian life is really about choices, isn't it? Choosing whether we're going to accept what the Lord has to say or do what the Lord has to do. 
So he gave us, first of all, his infallible word with all the tools that we will ever need. And so we have to apply ourselves. Amen. If you have got a Bible and you're not in it, then you're not equipped. You're not using the primary tool that God has given to you. Now, in the Air Force, we had manuals. We had lots of, they, they got a manual for everything. But they had a lot of manuals on the, the aircraft that I worked on. And if I needed to know something that I did not know, I would go and I could get the manual and I could read on the manual. And I would have an idea at least what I'm supposed to do. Now, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. What? Rightly dividing the word of truth. The more time you spend in it, it begins to make more sense. And you begin to put it in its right perspective. Things that apply to the Jews, things that apply to the church, things that apply to the redeemed of the Lord, things that belong in the tribulation and the millennium and so on. So we, we have to apply what we have learned to our, to our life and the issues that we face in life. They have to have an application somewhere along the line. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Uh, then in verse 25, he says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being, a, being not a forgetful believer, a hearer rather, uh, but a doer of the work, this man shall be what? Blessed indeed. So the question is, do you want a blessed Christian life? If you want a blessed Christian life, then you better be in the book to find out the, what the basis of the blessings are. Now, a successful Christian life never, ever just happens. A good marriage does not just happen. Amen? It just doesn't happen. It takes two people working to make it good. And make an application of all the things that God would have us to apply to our personal lives and then to our corporate lives as a husband and a wife. And it's the same thing. You have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean anything if, if you're not learning about him. If you're not learning from the word of God what, what, what he has for us and provided for us along the way there. So we have to understand a successful Christian life never ever just happens. It is exercised by the studying of scriptures and then with divine wisdom and knowledge applied to our circumstances. I mean the army doesn't hand you a rifle and say there's the enemy over there and not give you any bullets. That'd be kind of stupid, wouldn't it? So it's like, it's, it's like reading the word of God but not studying it to glean from it the things that you and I are going to need to be able to square off against the things that want to ruin our Christian lives, to ruin our, our personal lives and our marriages and our family dynamics. And so when it comes to our flesh, we know the Lord has provided us with tools and weapons necessary to live a victorious Christian life and to deal with the spiritual ailments that we are all bound to experience. Now, I'll be honest with you, I haven't gone through some of the, some things that other Christians have gone through and have, have had, and who have had to deal with things along the way in physical senses. But I marvel that those who hold their testimony, who hold to the goodness and the love of God during the times when they're physically suffering along the way. And I'm moved by it. And I'm encouraged by it. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, if I ever get to that point there, Lord, don't let me be a failure, let me be a success. Lord, help me to remember the things I need to remember to be able to get myself through these things here and to realize that you're not just only the God of the mountain, you're the God of the valleys. That you're not only the, the, the God of the sunny days, but you're the God of the rainy days as well. Amen? To never forget that God is God and that his love endures. Well, the loving God wouldn't put you through that. Well, if there's things that you need to learn, yes. And there may be things that others need to witness, yes. Are you not? Well, listen, uh, Job went through, an, uh, went through an awful lot, did he not? Job went through a lot. And he had some pretty serious conversations with God. Now, he had some other conversations with some kind of morons that kind of gathered around him a little bit there. But nonetheless, he had, he had, he had some really deep conversations with the Lord, his God. And he was going through some very trying times. Now, he probably did question a little bit from time to time, and I, I believe that's just human nature a little bit. But if we have been in the Word of God and we continue in the Word of God through those difficult times there, we will be lifted emotionally and spiritually for sure. 
And so we begin to look at some of these spiritual elements and their biblical solutions. And the first one I'm going to look at today is anger. Sometimes we might deal with a couple um, and, and not. But today we deal with the, with the word anger. Anger of which there are two types of anger in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 4. We see that we are to be angry and sin not. And the Bible says there, and be, come on, Jim, one more, one more. My fingers seem to want to stop short today. Uh, the Bible says very quickly, it says, uh, huh, I must have been asleep last night. 426. Thank you, Steve. Oh, my goodness here. Pray for the preacher and his thinking. Anyway, verse 26, it says there, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun, what? Go down on. Oh, in marriage, that's, that doesn't apply to marriage. Certainly doesn't mean anything between a husband and a wife or between the parents and the kids and the kids and the parents. Ah, that's got to be some other... Nope. He says there be ye angry and sin not. Now how do you get angry and sin not? Because usually when you get angry you think things you shouldn't be thinking. And sometimes you get angry enough to, to say what you're thinking. Which you ought not to do. But he says in verse 27 he says neither give place to the devil. All right. So the first type of anger is often referred to as a righteous indignation, which points to our developing a hatred of sin overall. Not the sinner, but the sin. And so when we come to realize the true horrible nature of sin and what it does to our lives, what it's capable of doing to our marriages and to our families, we will hate sin with a passion. But unfortunately, we don't. We, we make certain allowances for certain things. Well, maybe it doesn't have a hundred cuss words, but maybe it's only got three. Uh, maybe it doesn't have anything suggestive, but maybe only a couple of times, a couple of places there. But, you know, we, have, we seem to have this leniency toward sin and our exposure to it and it to us. And it ought not to be there. When we realize that that is the outcropping of a sin nature to be put on display. I mean, some of the stuff that is on television is absolute filth like you would not believe. It's every bit as bad on TV as it is what transpired in Dodger Stadium out there. I hope they lose this season with no hope whatsoever of winning the, uh, what do we call it? Dependent, yeah. Now, I know there's some good players. In fact, there was one ball player who did make a stand, but he capitulated because he came under pressure. Something Christians we ought not to ever do, but we do it from time to time. And so, while this sin of which I speak contains things that we do that cause broken fellowship with God until they are confessed, First John 1, 9, that, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us, uh, our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But until, as the redeemed of the Lord, we take care of those issues th that are interrupting our fellowship with the Lord, they've got to get under the blood so fellowship can be restored. We don't lose our salvation, but how often have we lost fellowship with the Lord? And we knew it, we felt it. Sometimes we, we, we get so used to sin being around that we don't sense it as we ought to sense it until a preacher preaches on it or a missionary or or a visiting uh, uh, evangelist preaches on it. But the sin that we should hate the most is the sin nature that we are born with and is going to keep loved ones and friends lost and separated from God in hell for all of eternity. We should hate that sin. Now, all these other things are the, are the fruits of sin. This, uh, the, the filth and the garbage and all the stuff, the cussing, the swearing, the sex scenes, all this... Uh, uh, Trans, uh, transphobia, uh, well, no, it's not, uh, 
Yeah, this, it is dysphoria, isn't it? Yeah, it is dysphoria. Um, all that stuff here, the, the, the problem that we're having with, with kids, well, I think I'm a girl, or I think I'm a boy, and or maybe the boy, he wanted to play with dolls for that particular day, or the girl wanted to play with trucks, and so immediately the parents rush them off to some psychiatrist who says, oh, they're, they're, they, they're, they're just a boy in a girl's body, or a girl in a boy's body, whatever it might be there. And so let's get them all set up here, and we'll put them on blockers, and we'll put them on this, we'll put them on that, we'll mutilate them, and uh, by the time they get to be teenagers, they're going to hate every one of us. Yeah. Many of them who have gone through that, they're, 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 warning, they're sending back warning, saying, listen, don't go this way. Don't follow this pathway because it's misery. You cannot be one thing that God has created you. You cannot be one thing that your DNA wants you to be and then try to be something else up here because someone said that's what you are. It's not going to work. It's going to make that individual miserable. Listen, things in kids' lives, they pass. Amen? I mean... How many times? They want to be policemen, they want to be firemen, they want to be this, they want to be G.I. Joe, they want to be, a, you know, all these things they want to be. And many times they grow up and are not even close to any of those things along the way. So when we talk about the sin that we should hate the most is the sin nature that we are born with that's going to bring about Revelation 11, 20, verse 15. Uh, and whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life was what? Cast in the lake of fire. We're talking about maybe a brother or sister. A mom or a dad. We're talking about an extra neighbor. Maybe a husband, maybe a wife. Or a son and a daughter. Who is going to be cast into that lake of fire for eternity. Oh, but they're good. That's not what the Bible says. Except the man be born again. He cannot see. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so, this uh, truth should be more than ample in motivating you and I, who are Christ by a saving faith to live a life that he's called us to live and an unfolding life that manifests God's presence and the excitement of our relationship every day, every single day, not just when it's convenient, even when it's inconvenient. And so the second anger is a mark of spiritual immaturity and a carnal reaction of our flesh, Ephesians 4, 7. I'm sorry, 27. <laughs> well, my typewriter was not working last night. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Neither give place to the devil. I said that, that the devil wants to influence our minds. And so he's going to tell you, you don't really need to do this. Yeah, but God said, no, you don't have to take that serious. I mean, that's what he told Adam and Eve in the garden. Oh, hey, listen, he said that God, God said that the day eat thereof that we shall surely die. No. He didn't really mean that. Oh, really? He didn't mean it? No, he didn't mean that. So he, he lied to them about what God said. And so the devil's going to do everything he can to get us to disobey God or to not do what God would have us to do. And so as we said, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him an itch because he'll take a yard. One of the greatest problems of the Christian life is that we allow the devil to put his oars in our waters. Amen. He has no place in our lives. He has no reason to be an influence in our lives. That is from our perspective. Now he has a reason and that reason for him is to destroy your testimony. He loves to create turmoil. He loves to churn up the waters and to get us to justify where it is that our anger causes us to do or say things that we will later regret. And anger is one of those, listen, we live, you talk about, I never saw it, I won't heard it advertised, angry birds. I, I have no idea what it's about, other than birds that are angry. America is an angry nation. Several teenagers at an amusement park, beat to death. A, a young teenager, I think it was 12-year-old, 13-year-old. So they could get his $1,400 sneakers. Two things. I'm thinking to myself, who in the world spends $1,400 for a pair of sneakers? I wouldn't pay that for a pair of shoes, let alone a pair of sneakers. But we are, we are a nation that puts a premium on material things. 
And so these guys decided they wanted the sneakers and so they beat him to death. They were angry. I should have those. You shouldn't have those things. I should have those things. Road rage. Good night. I mean, you're scared to death down. I mean, you drive down the road there and you're always constantly looking around because you might have come too close to somebody. Because uh, my wife says, you know, you're too close to the bumper. And I said, well, if they get out of my way, I wouldn't be that close. <laughs> well, uh, road rage is a terrible thing. Every day in America, somebody gets out and shoots somebody or beats them to a pulp. And the problem with race baiting in America today is it creates an environment of anger. It ought not to be. But yet that's the country we live in. Because we have had less influence on this, on this country than Satan has. And as a result, America has become a very angry, angry nation. And it will ruin our testimony. Anger will ruin our testimony in a heartbeat. And it will give Satan foothold in our life, a platform from which he can launch other attacks. All he wants to do is just get his foot in the door, knowing that he can move forward and begin to wreak havoc in other areas of your life. And that's where the military said, listen, if we can just get a foothold on this island, and we get a foothold on this country, and then we can begin to move inland, but we need a foothold first. And so the devil operates very, very similar. If I can just get a foothold in that preacher's life, if I get a foothold in that parishioner's life, if I get a foothold in that church, I can change things around. And he has been very successful at doing just that. So we're ruling that testimony in a heartbeat. And uh, we look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27. Um, and uh, neither give place to the devil. Now, the word place means an opportunity or power. Do not give to him the place or the power to wreak havoc in your life. Learn to develop a humble spirit. Learn to develop a spirit of forgiveness. I know people who hate other people who are Christians who hate other people and said, I will never, ever forgive them. I don't have much hope for a successful Christian life concerning that particular person. The word give is the idea of giving something over to someone. So when you give place to the devil, you're giving him something of yourself. When in, in essence, you belong to God. So in this case, do not give anything over to Satan, let alone an opportunity to do more damage. Neither give. Give is in the imperative, by the way, which means it is important that you don't even give him a second's thought. Don't allow him to... Listen, as soon as you... Uh, when, when Peter uh, spoke to the Lord, what did the Lord, what did the Lord answer Peter in that particular instance? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. And that's, listen, when you begin to have a thought that you know that is inconsistent with being a Christian, get thee behind me. Get behind me, Satan. I'm not going to go down this road with you. Do not give him place. And so, in all of this, we argue, preacher, it's easier said than done. And you're right. It takes discipline. It takes discipline to study. It takes discipline to apply what you've studied. Who told you the Christian life was an easy was going to be an easy walk? Who told you that? Uh, so says the devil. It's easier said than done. And all who choose to live by the flesh. But the Bible tells us in Mark chapter nine verse twenty-three, Jesus said unto him, "If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth." So if you believe that God has made available to you and I the equipment that we need to overcome Satan, especially in this area of anger, because anger can come up so quickly. If you believe that God's given it to you, then you get in the Word of God and you discover those verses, which we'll look at a few here. 
So this begs the question of whether or not we want to do what is right by God or get our, get our pound of flesh. Do I want to get even with someone because they angered me? They did something? They said something that has just angered me to no end? Do I really want to get my pound of flesh? Or do I want to turn it over to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, just, I'm giving it to you. I'm putting it in your hands. I forgive them. Lord, you deal with the issue. So spiritual maturity chooses to do what Christ did for you and I. Forgive. Forgive the individual. It's not a sign of weakness. It takes more courage. It takes more strength. And it takes more maturity to forgive someone for something that they did to you and you didn't do to them. So much precious life is lost and unrecoverable when anger takes over our souls. I know of families who have anger issues in the midst of those families and they haven't talked to each other in years and years and years. Precious time is lost. Precious relationships are destroyed because of this issue of anger. And so is there someone whom you are harboring anger towards here today? Give it over. Give it over to the Lord. Well, you know what that means? That means don't bring it up again. Uh, not necessarily that you've forgotten it. You, you just don't bring it up. It's irrelevant to any future questions or any future problems. Is it a person? Then forgive them, pray for them in the way that you know Christ would pray for, pray for them as well. How would Christ pray, pray for them? To get saved? To get right? It's amazing what Christ can do in the heart of someone who has gone from being a sinner to being a saint. The second step is the step, is the step of spiritual maturity. Otherwise, it is a matter of carnality. Exercise spiritual maturity. Sadly, we can be right with God in other areas of our life and still be wrong while anger is alive in our lives. And that overshadows all the other areas if you take a moment and think about that. You're talking to someone, oh, yeah, I know that person. I am so angry. They said or they did this, and I'll never forgive them. And then you want to turn around and talk to them about the love of Jesus. Uh, you know, you can't do that and be successful. Anger overshadows our testimony. And so we need to be very careful. Give it up and give it over to the Lord. Work at it. If it comes back, give it over to the Lord. Well, how many times do I do that? As often as it comes up, give it to the Lord. Over and over again. It close with Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. When you, when you have anger in your soul, you, you, can't, you can't have a cheerful countenance. God's people ought to walk up that sidewalk with a smirk from ear to ear. Going to the house of the Lord. Going to worship. Going to praise the Lord. Be with my brothers. Be with my sisters in the Lord. God's going to speak to us. God's going to challenge us. God's going to change us. I'm excited, amen. <laughs> but anger, anger, anger steals the frown. And any smirk or smile we put on our face is manufactured. Don't you want it to come naturally from the soul? An extension of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in our heart. So a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is broken. Anger causes sorrow of heart. Give it up. Give it over to the Lord. Develop a cheerful countenance. Next Sunday, I'm going to take pictures of everybody coming up the walk. Work this week on that smile. I'm just kidding. Work on the smile, yes. Work on the smile. And, and even when we're walking out of our house, look outside. Oh, this terrible rain. It's Father's Day. Your neighbor should see a smile on your face. Hey, saw you coming out of your house. You were smirking from here to here. What's going on? Going to church. Oh, really? And you're happy about that? Oh, I'm elated. I'm excited. Amen. Hopefully you are. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. And, and Lord, uh, really, the... the I thank you for the many wonderful testimonies that are out there. Men and women who are making stands, whose homes are making stands. But Lord, we realize that all across America, there are so many who aren't. Lord, if someone were to walk into the, some, some of these Christian homes, they'd never know that Christ, uh, that Christ was the center, because he's not. They wouldn't know that they were dealing with Christians. And Lord, that ought not to be. Lord, there ought to be that which transpires in our lives that brings to us 
a humbleness, but also a cheerful countenance. Lord, there are things that rise almost instantaneously that catch us by surprise. But Lord, there are things that we ought not to dote on. Immediately we ought to recognize them for what they are. And immediately we should take them to your throne of grace. And Lord, seek your, your direction, to seek your wisdom, to seek your discernment, to apply scripture to that particular moment in time. So that Lord, we can return to that cheerful countenance and not be bitter and angry. Lord, I, I, I don't know if there's one here or in the sound of my voice or we'll play the download somewhere at some point in time that has anger issues. But Lord, it's dangerous. It's terrible. Many a, many a wife has been beaten to a pulp because of anger issues. Many a husband has been shot and killed because of anger issues. Lord, this, this, this stark rave of man who chased down his three children and, and lined them up and shot them in front of their mother. Lord, there is something seriously wrong with the fabric of America today. And Lord, it ought not to be so among your children. Lord, we should have a life that we are exercising that creates a hunger and a thirst in the lives of those around us. So that some of the things that we see and some of the things that we hear of today, Lord, they would all be done away with and gone as, as our nation turns it back once again towards you. Now, Father, you guide and you direct in how you want the response to be today. But Lord, if there's one that does not know Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior, Lord, may this be the day that they turn from their sin to the Savior. But Lord, with our folk that are gathered here today, and I'd ask you with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you're fighting with an anger issue, it may have been something from 30 years ago. Could it be something just this week? Can I ask you this morning just to let it go? Give it to the Lord. Turn loose it. Turn, turn loose from it. It is not worth ruining your life over. Give it to the Lord. You might say this morning, preacher, pray for me. There are some things I'm having a hard time. I'm wrestling with some things along the way. And sometimes it may be an anger issue with God because God, you feel God allowed something to happen that you didn't think you deserved. And just need to get it taken care of. I, I trust that you'll do that before you leave here today. So, Father, again, you guide and you direct me at the need of this hour. And, Father, we just thank you for the fathers who are here today. Lord, bless them. Encourage them to continue to be the spiritual leaders, guiding and directing the family and the wives uh, to be the, the helpmate that, uh, uh, Lord, you've appointed them to be and that they work together. And, Lord, that the families would appreciate, the sons and the daughters would appreciate their moms and their dads and the influence uh, that, you, that uh, you have had on them as uh, young people growing up. And so, Father, we do ask this today, and we pray it now in Jesus' name. Dismiss us now with thy blessings in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And all God's people said. Amen. Now remember, no evening service tonight.